Hey, welcome to the Crossing Church podcast. You're about to listen to a message from one of our recent meetings, which we trust will bless you. If you're wanting to know more about The Crossing, you can follow us on our social channels or visit thecrossing.org.za. Now lean in and be encouraged by Jesus as you hear his word for you today. You can also drop us a mail at forhim@thecrossing.org.za. The Crossing Church, Christ in us, Christ through us. Great. Good evening, Crossing Church. Wonderful to be with you this evening and uh, much love from the eldership uh, to you guys. And I'm excited about this evening. I've got, uh, I feel I've got a word from the Lord that He's placed on my heart. And uh, I want you to know this, that God is on His throne. He is in unshakable, invincible, and He's a God without limitations. And Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 tells us about the supremacy of the Son, who is the King of the eternal kingdom. This, uh, this evening, I want to talk around the, the supremacy and the power of the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be going through the book of Daniel, and we're going to be gaining some great insight into what happened in the days of Nebuchadnezzar and how God was able to reveal himself to him, to, to work through him, and to do great things through this man. And uh, when we look through the book of Daniel, we see glimpses and a picture of what God can do with any man. And uh, it's actually a very exciting story. It's an incredible account of this man, Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, you know, when you look through the lights of, of, of the world kingdoms and powers and all of this, and then you look in the book of Daniel, you see incredible things. And what I want to do through chapters 2 to 4, I want to split into three main areas. And uh, the first one will be the statue of the four kingdoms. And we, really, it's a message of wisdom. And uh, the image of gold and the burning furnace, which is a message of no compromise. And number three, Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter four of the large tree and the fulfillment of it. And this is really a message of boldness that Daniel preached to Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, I want us to see in picking up from chapter two, verses one, if you could turn with me in your Bible, and uh, I want to give a bit of a, a high-level picture of what was happening uh, with Nebuchadnezzar in chapter two. And uh, he had a dream, and this dream troubled him greatly. It was on his mind. He could not sleep, and uh, he calls all his enchanters. He calls his magicians, his um, uh, sorcerers and astrologers, and he calls the whole team together, and he says to them something very different. He says, I want you to not only interpret my dream, but I want you to, I want you to tell me what the dream is. And uh, twice they ask the king, tell us your dream, and we'll interpret it for you. And I love the way Nebuchadnezzar turns around in this chapter, and he says, you're trying to buy time. I want you to interpret the dream, and I want you to tell me what the dream is is. And in verses 11 of chapter 2, I love what they turn around and they say this, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Wow. I find that incredible because what does the Bible tell us? Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. So what the magicians thought and the astrologers thought that God does not live amongst humans, 
My Bible tells me that Jesus, Emmanuel, is with us and present. And how the Father sent His Son from heaven to be with us and to be the perfect Savior for us. What a Jesus we serve. And I want us to look through this account in chapter 2. And the Nebuchadnezzar was furious because they were trying to buy time. And they said, whatever you want cannot be done. So he turned around and he said to, to his magicians and his astrologers and all of them, he says, you're going to be put to death which included all the wise men from Judah, which is Babylon uh, in, um, from Jerusalem, and that is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and certainly Daniel himself. So there was great fear that went around. And I love how in chapter 2, verses um, 15, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Sorry, verses 14. And he asked the king's officers, why did the king issue such a harsh decree Oriach then explained the matter to Daniel. And what I love, the way the Bible talks about Daniel, he's a man who had wisdom and a man who had tact, and he approached the king with boldness. And he asked the king, and he said, give me some time, I want to interpret, and I want to hear what God is saying about your dream. And uh, I love how in verses uh, 18, when Daniel left the king's presence, he went to his uh, three friends, from Judah, and he said, let us plead for mercy from, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Because what did Daniel want to do? He wanted to hear from God. He wanted the prophetic word to come from heaven, ultimately to rescue and save the men from Judah who were about to be killed. Because frankly, Nebuchadnezzar was fed up of all the rubbish and all the lies and all the prophecies and all of that. And it's amazing. He humbled himself, Daniel, and God spoke to him. And I love this response. Daniel turns around and he says this, Praise be to the name of our God forever and ever. This will be verses 20. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what I asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I love that cry from Daniel. He turns around and he says, you have made known to me what we asked of you. I want you to know something. God says, you ask and you shall receive. Those who want wisdom, the Bible says in James, he freely and lavishly gives Wisdom to those who asks. And uh, Daniel, with a heart of gratefulness, turns around and he has this, this praise of thanks and gratitude to what God had spoken and given to him. I want you to know this, that God wants to speak through the church. He wants to speak to nations. He wants to speak to people, to kings. And he does this through his church. The church carries the spirit of Jesus the church carries the prophetic voice of Jesus for the nations. And uh, verses 28, uh, when Daniel turns around and he says something, when he comes to the king, and now Oriach says to Daniel, come, I want to take you to the king. Daniel says, I've got the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar turns around and says, Daniel, can you reveal the scriptures? Can you reveal the dream to me? And then verses 28, but there is a God in heaven 
who reveals mysteries. He has shown the King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. This is a beautiful thing. Daniel says there's not a man on this earth who can reveal the deep things, the mysteries of God. But there is one, the God in heaven, who is able to reveal mysteries. I want to say this, that if you are running after enchanters, fortune tellers, trying to find your future, trying to understand what, what lies ahead, could I ask you, stop running after fortune tellers, people you are paying to tell your future. There is one in the book of Jeremiah 29 in the Bible. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. That's the God who is inviting you this evening to ask of him, and he will surely show you great and wonderful things. Let's pick up there from verses 31. And uh, Daniel now tells the king the dream. And it says this in verses 31, Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. I wonder how many people around the world are captured by dazzling appearances of uh, politicians and superstars and sports stars and rock stars. And it goes on to say this, The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. You see, Daniel right now was interpreting a picture, that a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of four parts of this great statue. The first part, the head, was the kingdom of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar himself, made of gold. Then you have the kingdom that took over of Medo-Persian. The third was the empire that took over of Greece, and the fourth one was the kingdom of Rome. Notice this, where that rock was cut out of a mountain. And there's wonderful prophetic pictures throughout the Bible of Zion, Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, as we read in the book of Revelations. And this rock was cut out, not by human hands. In other words, not by man's will, man's decision, man's choice. It was cut out supernaturally. This rock was removed from the mountain. And what does the Bible tell us? That that rock struck the statue on its feet. And what was the fourth and last kingdom before the kingdom of Christ? Well, the uh, Bible tells us that that was the Roman kingdom. And I want you to picture a statue, a massive, massive statue. The rock comes and strikes the foot. And what happens when your feet are taken out is the entire rest of the statue comes uh, collapsing down. And uh, notice this, that the rock struck the, the feet of the statue, indicating the empire that would proceed and be before the kingdom of Christ. And uh, this rock smashed it. And I love the way it says, every single bit of silver, bronze, gold, 
was smashed to pieces. And the wind swept them away without leaving a trace. And when you go look at the book of Peter, how man's life is like the flowers or like the grass. One minute it springs up, next minute it's swept away. And here you have these mighty kingdoms. Let me tell you now, the kingdom of Babylon was a mighty, powerful kingdom. Then came Medo-Persian, uh, the Greek Empire. Think about men like Alexander the Great. Then you've got the Roman Empire. In the natural, in the human eyes, they were mighty, powerful kingdoms. But in the eyes of heaven, the eyes of God, this little rock cut out from the mountain, smashed all four kingdoms. And here's a prophetic picture that I believe Daniel was seen of the church. That this, church, this rock, after had done all the smashing, it then grew to fill the entire earth. And notice this. When was Jesus at his weakest? He came on a fall, on a colt, the fall of a donkey, into Jerusalem. And let me tell you, a donkey is not a horse or not an animal you use in battle. He was at his weakest on the cross. And notice this, on the cross, he smashed all four kingdoms as he rose in power. And this rock is the prophetic picture that now grows and fills the earth. As Genesis chapter 128, as Acts chapter 1 tells us and commands us. What does God say to Adam in Genesis 128? Be fruitful, increase, multiply, multiply, fill and subdue the earth. Same commission in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says this, Wait for power, for you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And here's this prophetic picture of the church filling the entire earth. It's a powerful thing. Let's continue in verses 44 to 45. It says this, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock, cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. Isn't this such a powerful picture of this eternal kingdom? Notice this. This kingdom will not be left to another people. Why? Because it's Jesus Christ who's the king of the kingdom, and it's the church that inherits this kingdom. That's who the kingdom belongs to. So here, when you look at the life of Daniel, and you look, look at the life of Nebuchadnezzar, this picture is really of the statue, is a picture of wisdom. It's the message of wisdom that the church carries. See, Daniel is a picture of the church. That the church has been given a message of wisdom, a message of, of knowledge, of understanding in humility and wisdom to be able to speak and to declare the mysteries and the things of the kingdom to the nations of the world. So as I've said in this first part of the book of Daniel is we have this message of wisdom. You know what I love? How God starts to work with this man, King Nebuchadnezzar, and in chapter 2, verses 47, we see how King Nebuchadnezzar declares and proclaims the truth about the God of Daniel. It's the God of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar is talking about. And we're going to see this wonderful progressive journey, how God 
intervenes and starts to, to work in this man's life. The second part of, of the book of Daniel, what I want to talk about uh, this evening, is I want to talk about the image of gold and the blazing furnace, which is really a message of no compromise that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they revealed, they declared, they lived a lifestyle of no compromise. And I want you to know this, that the church has been called to a life of no compromise to the things of the world. God has said, be holy, for I'm holy. There is a, a calling out, a separation, a, 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 a sanctifying work done by the Spirit of God upon the church. And we are called to never carry a message of compromise. So here we have um, a wonderful account. Nebuchadnezzar, later on, he now decides to build this huge, massive statue of himself. And uh, heralds are going around and they, they playing the flute and the lyre and the tambourine and all the musical equipment. And they say that when the musical equipment or when the, the flute and the horn and all of that is played, then you are to fall down and you are to worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And uh, multitudes of people, whether it be the, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, the advisors, all of them come to the dedication of the image of, of, of King Nebuchadnezzar. And as all the musical equipment is played, they all get down, they bow down and worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar has made of himself. However, there are three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Judah. They are, they are sent through in the exile and with Daniel. And every time this happens, they refuse to bow down and to worship this image. And I wonder in our lives if we have, by one degree, one degree, started to play with sin, started to play with compromise, and uh, often the fear of man or trying to please man becomes a very big thing. And God is calling us this evening, God is calling us tomorrow to a lifestyle of no compromise. And um, verses 13 of chapter 3, look at this. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Here's a question that goes out to us tonight, tomorrow. When the world calls for us to worship things, to compromise, that is man-made or, or has an appearance of wisdom or has an appearance of religion, but it actually denies its power. You see, spirituality and religiosity can have a form of godliness, but it denies its power. What does the Bible tell us about the power of godliness and the power of righteousness? It's simply this. It's a declaration on the finished work of the cross that Jesus Christ alone is the one that makes us godly. He's the one that purifies us. He's the one that saves us. He's the one that does it through the finished work of the cross. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar turns around and he says to them, guys, I'm going to give you one more chance. When, I, when you hear the musical instruments, the flute and the lair and the tambourine and all of that, you are to fall down and you are to worship me. And I love what these three men turn around and they say 
in verses 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What a message of no compromise. So here's this three men who understood a lifestyle of no compromise, who understood that their fear of God was of far greater value than the fear of man or the fear of the king. I wonder if the, a, a king like Nebuchadnezzar came in and said to you and me, you are to bow down and you are to worship my image. You are, and there was intimidation and there was threats. I wonder how we would be. Do we fear God more than we fear man? And this is the message that comes out. And I want you to see the profound impact that three wise men had on this king. When they turned around and they said to the king, we do not need to defend ourselves in this matter. I wonder how many times as Christians we have to run around we're trying to defend our doctrine. We're trying to defend the Bible. We're trying to defend our lifestyle. And yet these three men turned around and they said, we do not need to defend ourselves to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, because the God whom we serve is able to save us from this fire. Not you, the God whom we serve. And even if he chooses not to save us, why? Because these three men are acknowledging the sovereignty of God the total, absolute, supreme authority that the God of heaven carries over their lives. That even if we do not make it, if we blow up and, and uh, burn to charcoal, we want you to know something, King Nebuchadnezzar, we will never serve you, your image, or your gods. See, there is a profound message of no compromise. And this king raging with anger, remember this, what did Satan always want in heaven? He wants worship. As what did we see when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness? What did Satan say to Jesus? Worship me and I'll give you everything. What does Nebuchadnezzar say here? Worship me and you will live. I have the power to destroy you. I have the power to give life. These three men turn around and say, Nebuchadnezzar, no, you do not have the power to give life. The God whom we serve, the one whom we fear, is the one who's able to save us. And he will save us from your hand. And this raging king stands up and he throws these men into the fire. And it is raging hot. In fact, he orders it to be seven times hotter than normal because he wants to see these three men incinerate. In fact, it was so hot, this fire, that his very security guards, the, the men, the servants who were throwing them into the fire, they got obliterated and incinerated at this heat. And suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumps to his feet. He suddenly looks around and he says, how many people did we throw in the fire? And his servant said, three. He says, I see a fourth man walking in the fire. What a profound picture of a God who saves and a God who rescues. And such a picture of the kingdom. There is a fourth man in the fire. I want you to know right now that you may be facing a position of compromise. You may be facing right now 
a, a moment where sin is knocking at your door and it desires to have you. It desires to rule over you. But God is saying to you, there is a fourth man. There is one who will save you. There is one who is with you and he will be in the fire and he will redeem you if you will trust him and not compromise your belief, not compromise your value, not compromise the call of God over your life. And I want you to know this. This is a prophetic picture, a, a picture of how this man, Christ Jesus, the king of the eternal kingdom, how this man saves you from the eternal fire one day. I want you to know this, that you may be sitting in your TV room, you may be sitting in your home, you may be dialing in on, through the internet, and maybe this is the first time you're hearing the gospel preached. Maybe this is the first time you've heard of the book of Daniel. I want you to know this, like this picture of a fire, one day there is going to be a fire, and it's going to separate the people of God from the enemy of God. Who, who are the enemies of God? Simply this, those who in their, in their heart reject the gospel, they reject the good news, and they choose to be God of their own life. Tonight, I want you to know this, that there is a God who desires to save you from the eternal fire. There is a God who desires through the finished work of the cross, through the bloodshed, to give you eternal life. You need to believe upon Him. Call upon His name. And the Bible says this, All who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And what a picture we see as these three men called upon their God. They refused to compromise. And what do we see? A man who saves them. A fourth man in the fire. Like we saw in the picture with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, where Nebuchadnezzar turned around and he prayed the God of Daniel. Interesting that in the fire, Nebuchadnezzar says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of the fire. And he comes out and notice this, all three men, their clothing, their hair, not a part of their body, not a strand of hair was burnt in the fire. And that is a picture of how Jesus Christ saves you and me one day from the eternal fire. That invitation has been given to the world. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes upon Him and calls upon Him shall be saved. And that's your promise that we see here in Daniel. He will save you from the fire. Chapter 3, verses 28 says, Nebuchadnezzar praised to the God, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. There is the message of zero compromise. They'll only worship one God. But here we have Nebuchadnezzar. He praises the God of Daniel. He now praises the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Something is happening in this man. There is a transformation. There is a redesigning. There is a revealing of a God who desires to save this king, Nebuchadnezzar. And as we go into our final third section of, of, of the book of Daniel that I want to talk about tonight, this is really a message of boldness. And uh, we're going to see at the end what happens 
that Nebuchadnezzar no longer talks about the God of Daniel or the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He now talks about God for himself. It's a powerful thing. And I want you to see this, that this gospel, no matter how great you are, no matter how small you are, rich or poor, no matter what race, no matter what culture, no matter what nation, this gospel has the power to save you if you'll call upon his name. This is the message of boldness. Can you imagine that God gives another dream to Nebuchadnezzar? And it's a picture of a tall tree. And by now, Nebuchadnezzar and Dan uh, Daniel are friends. He trusts Daniel. He's been promoted to a very, very high position in the province of Babylon. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar trusts the voice, the prophetic voice of Daniel. And the king gets a dream about a very large tree, fruitful powerful, huge. And uh, when Daniel got the interpretation, he became alarmed. He became worried. He became concerned. And the king turned around and said, Daniel, don't be concerned. Just tell me what it is. You see, here's, here's the challenge. When you and me are given a message of boldness, that no matter the current, no matter the tide, the church is called to stand for the kingdom. Not popular opinion, not the next phase or the next fad or the next slogan. We are called to stand for the king and his kingdom. And the prophetic dream that Nebuchadnezzar had was actually about him. And notice the life and the courage and the boldness of Daniel is that he doesn't pull back. He doesn't try water down the dream. He doesn't try manipulate the dream to suit him, to make it palatable or to make it soft and, um, you know, uh, easy for Nebuchadnezzar. He sticks to the truth. He sticks to the word that was shared. And if you continue with me in the book of Daniel chapter 4, let's go from verses 23. It says, Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree, destroy it. But leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. Wow. How to lose your possible position of influence when you turn around to the King a very powerful empire, and you say, this is the decree the Lord has issued against you. And he goes on down further to uh, verses 26. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, it may then, your prosperity will continue. I love the humility of Daniel here. Because he gives a prophetic picture, an interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar and says, you're going to be driven. You're going to eat grass like an ox. You're going to be drenched with the dew of heaven. Your hair is going to grow. Your fingernails will become like an eagle. You'll be separated, torn from your kingdom, torn from your throne. Until you, times will pass, times will pass, until you look up to heaven and you acknowledge that heaven rules. The supreme sovereignty of heaven.
And uh, you see, Daniel understood the message of boldness, this gospel, that he would not hold back, that he would not be intimidated, that he wouldn't try to dilute or pollute the prophetic word given. And how many times do you see people in the world today, prophets, people out there, that they manipulate the gospel, they manipulate a word for their own selfish gain or to really be you know, man-pleasing and accepting to the person receiving the word. Daniel understood the message of boldness and the absolute obedience and responsibility upon him to deliver the true word from heaven. And uh, this word was fulfilled 12 months later. Daniel, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is busy walking on the palace. And uh, he looks around and he says, Isn't this the kingdom that I've built by the power of my own might? And uh, the Bible tells us that whilst the words were still on his lips, heaven spoke. That word happened and King Nebuchadnezzar was driven away. And it says that seven times passed and that seven years that he was driven from his throne and kingdom. And exactly what was prophesied, long hair, living out literally in the country, fingernails like the talents of an eagle. And uh, we pick up what happens here at verses 34 as I start to come to a close. It says, As at the end of that time, that seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I, look, look at this, praised the Most High, and I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does what, as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What you have done? Verses 36 closes off, and it says, At that same time, that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became greater than before. Look at this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he's able to humble. Can you imagine if Daniel compromised on his message to the king and gave him a, a flattery prophetic word or a watered-down polluted word? Could you imagine where Nebuchadnezzar could have been? But because Daniel stuck to the prophetic word given, obedient to the king, yes, the prophetic words came true, but there was something stirring in this king Nebuchadnezzar's heart. He no longer praised in chapter 2, the God of Daniel. He no longer praised in chapter 3, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But in chapter 4, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, has now met the King of kings and the Lord of all lords, the eternal God of his eternal kingdom. And he was humbled. He walked in pride. He was humbled. And as he looked up to heaven, sanity was restored. Life and grace flowed to him. He humbled himself. And he called upon the name of the Lord. He started to glorify and worship the King of Kings. Maybe that's you this evening. And you're sitting in your home. And you've lived a life of compromise. You've lived a life to fear, 
of the fear of man and uh, the lust for more, the desires for more things. And tonight, there's something stirring in your heart where you're saying, tonight, no more compromise. So where you are in your, in your home, you know that Christ is, is not king of your heart. You've heard of Jesus. You may have gone to church. You may have even done a few Christmases or Easter's because that's the right thing to do. But let me tell you this. Knowledge does not save you. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. I want you to bow your heads with me and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If, you're going to res- if you feel in your heart to respond to that, that no more compromise, you want to live for Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer to help you. And uh, let's pray together. Father, I come before you, Lord. I declare that I'm living outside of Christ, living outside of his purposes and his plans. I may have he- I've heard of you, Lord Jesus, but I want to know you. I want you to live in my heart. I want you to come in and be Lord and God of my life. I don't want to have a knowledge of you. I want to know you intimately. And I put my faith in the finished work of the cross. The Bible tells me that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross, and three days later were raised by the power of God. I put my faith in that. And I thank you for your redeeming grace upon my life, your saving power. And I put my trust in you. Amen. If that's you and you've prayed that, I want to encourage you. Please get hold of us privately. Send us a mail. Get onto our social channels. We'd love to chat with you. You may want to ask more questions around salvation and understanding of of Jesus Christ and the claims and teachings of Jesus. Please get hold of us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, from the eldership of the Crossing Church, lots of love. Bless you guys. Amen.